Hello and welcome to another edition of Childhood Remastered. This is the podcast where we look back on the cartoons and movies and TV shows and whatnot of our youth and see if they're still worth a damn. Or not. Or not, which is far too often the case. I am Sean. And I'm Chris. And today we have a, a very special guest, a guest commentator on the podcast. It's my sister! <laughs> <laughs> Hi. <laughs> My sister Chelsea will be joining us today. At her request. At her request because she found out what movie we are going to be reviewing for the final entry in our super spooky Halloween. Spooky. Yeah, no. Uh, so this week we are going to be reviewing Hocus Pocus. Hocus. Hocus Pocus. I'm pretty sure all three of us have seen this movie at least once. Probably more than once. Yes. So, do we want to maybe just go into what it was first? Yeah, let's talk about... So, Hocus Pocus was originally supposed to be a Disney Channel original movie back in 1993 in the the young infancy of the Disney Channel. The 90-aughts. Yeah, the 90-aughts. So... It originally was, like I said, supposed to be this Disney Channel original movie. And it came out July 16th, 1993. Yeah, Halloween movie in July. That's going to be uh, a point of discussion as we go along here. Uh, this uh, Some poor, poor life decisions. So, it was a PG-rated American comedy horror fantasy film. I always love these like weird Wikipedia descriptions. Sean's making the weirdest face right now because the wine... Sean's drinking wine and Chelsea and I are drinking... Cocktails. Cocktails, so... I'm a fan of red wine, so I went through all the red wines in the house in the last couple of weeks or months, and all I'm left with is the sweets, the sweet reds, and I'm not a fan of sweet reds, so I picked a sweet Shiraz, Well, it tastes like church wine. uh, you got a (laughs) bottle of wine to finish now, so... That's awful. Mmm, jam jar. Yeah, it is. (laughs) It's so sweet. This movie had a budget of $28 million and a box office of $39.5 million. In today's money, that would be a budget of $47.2 million and a box office take of $66.5 million. Pretty good for a uh, Disney Channel original movie. Uh, not great, though. Not great, but pretty good. I mean... Well, uh, it could have been worse. It, it could have been way worse. It, they could have lost $39 or so million like Treasure Planet, but uh, that's not the case. They it's, This is just like a very modest uh, success. And... And what it, what the movie is, just really quickly for our listeners, for those few out there who have not watched Hocus Pocus, it is a story about a couple of kids and a talking cat and a salty-ass zombie who <laughs> are essentially trying to foil the plans of three witches who have been resurrected from the dead who are trying to steal the souls of children in order to live forever. But it takes place in 1993, so hijinks ensue. That's that's essentially like a brief plot. I didn't pull that from anywhere. This is just in my brain. Yeah. So, and, and so let's talk about what we remember. Chelsea, yeah. what do you remember about this movie? Um, 
I remember in the beginning of the movie, the little girl who's supposed to be dead after her soul's been taken, you can actually see her moving in the background and giggling as <laughs> the rest of the scene is going on. And I was just like, wow, Disney movies from the early 90s. Like, <laughs> back when, back when, I mean, he... Did, did they only do one take of that? They must like, have. Like, that must have been the best take. Well, it's like the take in, uh, it's like there, if you watch Back to the Future 3, when Doc Brown shows up in the train at the very end of the movie and his kids are in the background. And oh, they, the one kid and the like, younger <sighs> the younger kid, he's like signaling to somebody off camera and pointing at his junk because he has to pee. And that made it into the final production of the film. Since, like nobody saw that. They're like, mm, you know, been, maybe, maybe we reshoot this. There's been so many like close-ups of the kid because he's like, he makes his face like, <laughs> yeah, mm. Yeah, so that, that was that that depiction was all for our uh, so, viewing, our viewers <laughs> who are zero. Yeah. Uh, Chelsea, when you were a kid, what were your memories of this? Do you have mm. memories of this as a child? I mean, of course, as a kid, I thought it was like way better. Like I thought that it was like the greatest movie ever made, and everything was like the cat talking was just so real. But now looking back on it, having years of movie experience, well, we'll get into what you <laughs> what you think about it now. But who was your favorite character when you were a kid? Um, thanks. Binks Probably. the cat? Yeah, the talking cat for sure. He was a sassy cat. He was very sassy. <laughs> well, you know, Marsden doing what he do. Yeah. Mar- so what what was your what What's were your memories of this? Oh, Mars do? <laughs> well, uh, what was your memory of this, Sean? I remember this movie. I don't think I saw it in the theater, but I I saw it pretty much every Halloween since. Um, I, I too thought it was a much better movie than it was when I, uh, when I, uh, first watched it. I was like, man, this movie is so awesome. It's like, it's one of those movies. And we talked about it with Mr. Boogity where they don't really make these movies anymore. They don't make movies for kids anymore that are like for the whole family. Well, yeah, they're, they're like spooky type movies, but, but they spooky. are for the whole family. It's like a movie where you could potentially leave your kids in front of it and walk away and go do something and not be worried about like what's going on in the movie. Yeah, that's true. So I like, I remember it being like fun. I remember the musical number that they do in the middle of it, yeah. the, uh, where Bette Midler sings and they, they do that whole thing. Yeah. And I, for some reason, the mom, the mom in her Madonna outfit really stood out in my mind. I wonder why. <laughs> yeah. No, it was just so It's stupid. the Madonna outfit with like the big cone boobs. So yeah. now we know. Uh, <laughs> no, was, well, we, he, this was 93, so you and I were what? I mean. Uh, 10? Yeah. So that, that's I, I think it was just on the most, right track. Yeah, I think it was mostly just she looked weird. And yeah, the, 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 the singing. I actually, you know, now that I think about it, the singing is what. Is what is stood what out because stood, yeah. it was the it was that part in the in sort of in the middle where they sing and they hypnotize the parents mm-hmm. and then the other part singing where um, Sarah Sanderson does her little song to entrance all the kids. I always remember that part, so I don't know. Maybe maybe just the song stuck in my head. In my case, I because you and I are the same age, and my sister's about your age. And when I was growing up, I my memories of this. I mean, I kind of. I mean, I think all three of us have kind of watched this movie too many times. Yeah, too many times, times from the time it came out until now. It, this was not like a revisit for us. This yeah. was like, okay, we're going to see the movie we saw last year. You well, know this what is I mean? One of, this is one so, of those movies where they uh, where the, uh, the the movie gets replayed every year. Literally, it's like a, yeah. it's like a Halloween movie. It's on ABC movie. Family. They play it like every year for their Halloween Multiple yeah. times. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, in my case, so, so the things that I remember were that... I was a kid, you know how when you're younger, you go through that phase of girls are, or boys are yucky? 
right? Yeah. Right? I never had that. I was oh. never girls or boys are yucky. I was always like, yeah, girls are awesome. I was into girls. I was like five years old and like I wanted a girlfriend and trying to get a kiss. I was if, like, if this was I a, was that kid. And so if my, this was a show on psychology, there'd be a lot to talk about. Right I, there, there. Th- well, with this movie, especially <laughs> because my my memories of this movie are one. Allison Max's love interest is hot. Two, I actually uh, was really, really into Sarah Jessica Parker in this movie. This is like the ev- one movie where Sarah everybody... Jessica Parker does not look like a foot face. It's because she's supposed to be like the sexy sister. And it's also... And she is. And like, is. let's be real. And it's uh, also from 20, what, five years ago now? Or 20, yeah. 24 so years ago now? So this is maybe pre-developed yeah. foot face then. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's, that's mean, but accurate. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I... I I put some weird so, stuff wait, in the notes. We'll get there. So about, you were ten. You were ten, and I think Thora Birch in this was like nine or ten. Were you, do you have a thing for Thora Birch? No, no, no. You were you were attracted to the older ladies. You weren't attracted to the kids that. Were I was attracted to the ones with boobs. <laughs> I mean, like, let's be real. Makes sense. <laughs> that and then and then my favorite character was Binks. I like I like the talking cat, and I remember and the zombie, and I remember that the zombie. The was, zombie was the hilarious. The zombie characters. was funny because he was sassy as shit, and then the the cat he didn't give two fucks for anything. And yeah. and the cat I remember as a kid going, wow, that looks really good. And and actually going back and rewatching it, the way that they made the cat kind of talk and stuff, like they did a good job with that. Yeah. And maybe the music. So I, I think uh, the the song in the middle with Winifred that she sings is is great, uh, and and it's something that like really sticks with me. Yeah. So, but I, I remember the dad more than the than the Madonna mom. I always remember the Dracula dad in that scene, but I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I just, the, the part with the mom, because she's so awkward, because, well, who, it's either, the, I think it's the daughter, the daughter finds her mom, and she's like, who are you supposed to be? And she's like, I'm Madonna, and she like, points to her boobs, and she's like, eh? and then, Like, and, we're supposed to know because of the boobs. Yeah, and then, and I think it's the daughter, the daughter's like, uh, okay, and then like, later when she gets the spell put on her, she's doing the Vogue thing, she's doing the, uh, 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 uh. Oh yeah, when she's stuck in the dance mode or whatever. Yeah. So, this movie was created by two guys, Mick Garris and David Kirshner, our old pal David Kirshner. I'm not going to get into them too much, but I, I wanted to, to talk, uh, kind of go on a little sidetrack here, but but about the movie. So, in 94, there's a documentary about this movie called Hocus Pocus Begin in the Magic, and David Kirshner said that he came up with the idea for the film when him and his young daughter were sitting outside and his neighbor's black cat had strayed by. And Kirshner invented a tale of how the cat was once a boy who was changed into a uh, a cat into a cat three hundred years ago by some witches. And the movie for this started as its life, as Chelsea had said, as a original film for the Disney Channel for a, as a TV movie. And the script caught the eye of Walt Disney Studios, who decided that the film was actually strong enough to carry well-known names and attract a, a real audience. And they tried to get Leonardo. Leonardo DiCaprio bleh, to play the role of Max, but he declined because he was going to do what's eating Gilbert Grape. Yeah, and they apparently they apparently offered him a quote large salary. I don't know how much that was. I don't know what it was because but at he the was top- already a you know a known actor. He was already a known entity then in '93. Yeah, Titanic. Well, he worked on Disney. He was on Growing Pains. Yeah, he was on Growing. Yeah, Pains. he was on Growing Pains, but he had also done some other side projects. There's some movies that he had done. I can't remember yeah. what's the one that he did. Where he was like a young kid, and I remember there's a scene in an alley with uh, playing basketball, and he had like a drug addiction. Basketball Diaries? Yeah. Okay. There you go. <laughs> I think that's a movie he was in. So, 
And, and, and you know, we, we can kind of skip some of this other stuff in the notes and we can kind of go to the screenplay because the Kirshner and, and Garris, one, is, one did screenplay and then the other was a producer. And so they kind of, you know, Bob's your uncle and put the movie together. So the first is Neil Cuthbert and the next is Mick Garris. And I wanted to talk about Garris because he co kind of created this, this project. He is a filmmaker and a screenwriter who's fairly well known for doing Stephen King stories like the 92 Sleepwalkers movie. That, do you know what that is? I don't know that Chelsea, one. I never watched that, that one. I don't. Uh, Sleepwalkers. It's kind of cool if you want to like find it online and watch it. So I'm not going to give too much away here. But essentially there is this alien race sort of that that survive on the, I guess, mana or, or lifeblood yeah. of, of young virgins. And... Oh, it's, it's sort a, of related to this movie. It's a father, yeah, exactly, and and it's a father or it's a, a son mother couple, and I say couple quite literally because they're also incestuous in the movie. Great. Who who try to lure young girls home to consume them, and and live forever, and essentially they're they're harmed by cats, and and it's one of those things. I mean, it's always a problem with Stephen King because Stephen King books are great books. I mean, I don't know how much King you've read, but his books are phenomenal. But they just don't usually translate well to the screen. This one, Sleepwalkers does, and and some of the other stuff that he he's done has uh, like Langoliers, I think, and a couple other ones. Langoliers was terrible. Uh, it, I, I it wasn't the... it, it wasn't awful, but it, it no, wasn't great. No, no, no. You need to go rewatch it. <laughs> Do I, I really? I tricked a friend of mine. I tricked uh, Josh. You know Josh. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I tricked my friend Josh into buying that movie a long time ago because I knew it was crap. And I and he was like, <laughs> he was like, oh, have you ever? This but he is... likes bad movies. No, like we do. it is. It's it's terrible. Is it, it really? Is so so. It's it's probably one of Stephen King's. Shalhoub's in it. He is in it, is he? Yeah, Langlers? he's in it. Oh, I know he's in it. Yeah. Um, what's his name? Uh, uh, Bronson Pinochet from uh, Perfect Strangers is in it. He's the <laughs> yes, bad, he is. He's the kind of bad guy, sort of bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. No, the the that movie is so bad. It's probably, and I'm not, I'm not using, I'm not using uh, hyperbole here. It's probably one of the worst adaptations of any Stephen King movie ever. Ever. It could be. It's so bad. But, and the CGI is terrible, But too. he also was involved with The Stand, which... Oh, uh, that, that was a good one. Which was pretty good. I remember that. When, was that, when did they do that adaptation? Like in 98? Mid-90s. That was when... Uh, it was a TV movie. That was when the chick from Just Shoot Me uh, was like big and popular and she ended up on that. But yeah. at any rate, we're kind of gone off a, off a side note. This guy's filmography is not the most amazing thing ever. One of his earliest works was directing the made-for-TV Disney movie Fuzz Bucket, which actually came out around the same time that Mr. Boogity came out. He did do The Stand, which is what I just mentioned, and one of Sean's favorites, Critters 2, which <laughs> I think you just watched not that long ago. Uh, I'm going to keep talking about it because it's awful. Yeah. It was produced by Walt Disney Pictures, and we've talked about them a ton of times, so I'm not yeah, really going to yeah. go into it. Was, it. it was originally supposed to, when it was the when it was the small, supposed to be the Disney Channel one, it was going to be one of the like more minor production houses within the Disney wheelhouse, but then when they saw the script, they were like, oh, let's just make this like a movie movie. Like a movie movie, and then the, the Walt Disney Pictures came in and was like, all let's, right, we're handling this let's now. Let's do it. Let's do it. So there's two producers, Stephen Haft and David Kushner. Yeah. And I wanted to talk about Kushner. Yeah, David uh, David Kushner was, uh, we've talked about him a bunch. Um, yes, On we a did. couple of movies so far, but if you don't know David Kushner, 
Uh, he is a pretty prolific film producer, and he's done movies like An American Tale, really all the American Tales. Including the third and fourth American Tale movies, which we didn't know existed until we started this show. Yeah. He did Cats Don't Dance, with a, which I'm pretty sure you have never seen. I've never seen, but you have, I've and you were it. telling me about it, so it's, yeah. it might be something that we watch. It was a, it was an animated featurette, and he covered, um, or he produced a movie that we covered, which was Titan A.E., and uh, Page Master, which that was the one that we really talked more about Kushner in the, the controversial stuff with him yeah. getting involved he was, with the Screen Actors Guild and stealing a, a script writing. He was kind of a king douchebag in that movie. Yeah. Or in the production of that movie. I mean, movie. he did create American Tale, but then again, like you said on Page Master, who knows what he actually created? I yeah, mean, exactly. I know. So, so in, case you, in case you didn't know, he kind of tried to steal the, uh, the, the screenplay credit from the person who actually wrote it by claiming that because it was animation, like, the, the, that the his difference screenwriting between, didn't count. Yeah, like, between, it's it was a dick move. Yeah, because the movie was half animation and half live action. Well, actually, mostly animation and partially live action. That the guy who wrote the original screenplay didn't deserve credit because he wrote this. He helped write the screenplay for the animated. It was it was a whole mess that yeah that caused a lawsuit. I mean, besides that movie, he is a talented and accomplished producer and screenwriter because he's actually had his hand in some pretty big stuff. Mm-hmm. But I, one of the other things I wanted to mention was the cult favorite by Hanna-Barbera, Pirates of Dark Water, that he did in 89 when he was chairman of Hanna-Barbera. That was, that's another one that we've had a couple of requests for and, and one that I think we may be getting in touch with somebody who's kind of a big Pirates of Dark Water buff. Mm-hmm. That, that is a, a show that kind of fell through the cracks when Hanna-Barbera got purchased by Turner. But I, I, it's, a, it's a good movie. Chelsea's making the drunk face because she's... She Too much. Poured, she poured a heavy hand over yeah. here. So, so uh, the director of this movie was Kenny Ortega, and I have to say, I watched after I watched the movie the other night. I went on YouTube and I watched a couple behind the scenes things, a couple of uh, like how they made. Uh, it was mostly the special effects, and Kenny Ortega was. If you think about, think of think of uh, the first thing that pops in your mind when you think of porn director. Like kind of greasy looking, greasy hair, mustache, greasy like, looking, gold like, chains, bla- yeah. like a black shirt, 70s lapel, and a shirt. cigarette, big, big ponytail. Mm. It's essentially no no mustache, but that's essentially oh, what this guy. You know what that like. reminds me of is uh, is it Buscioni, the guy who did um, Caligula? Have you guys yes, ever seen yes, Caligula? Yes, yes. I, <laughs> you don't know anything about Caligula? Oh, I'm gonna tell you about Caligula just real quick. Caligula <laughs> is a movie. With, that is highly inappropriate for children. It's never. It is essentially hardcore pornography. It is. It is truly. There is full penetration involving group sex and midgets, and and like it's insane. And it was done in the seventies. Originally, it was supposed to be the story about Rome burning and Caligula and Tiberius, and it, it just ended up being just a, an utter shit show. Yeah. But but when I think of of because uh, I saw the the picture of Ortega and when you think of him I was like oh Buscioni okay yeah. that's so, what I thought of so Kenny Ortega was originally a choreographer for a bunch of 80s movies like Xanadu St. Elmo's Fire Pretty in Pink Ferris Bueller Dirty Dancing and he also did the choreography for Tu Wong Fu Thanks for Everything Julie Newmar I love the shit out of that movie I don't even care I love that movie it's so good yeah. have you seen that movie? did you you never saw it Chelsea? no no, no? Rent it right now. <laughs> Wesley Snipes Rent it and Dr- from where? Yeah. Uh, well, okay. Amazon. Amazon. Yeah. It's just Pirate yeah. Bay. Fine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wesley Snipes and uh, John Leguizamo, John Leguizamo and Patrick, and Patrick Swayze in drag. Yeah, 
It's it's weird. I already like it. Yo, so, you have no idea. You're gonna he, like it real hard. It's it's too good. So he also directed and choreographed the uh, the Newsies movie from '92. Oh, I love Newsies. And he directed the first three High School Musical movies, uh, which leads me to the same question I had last time. Are there more? Because you put the first three. I did put the first three because there are several more. Are there? I don't yes, want to. Uh, yes. Well, the, to be honest, I only actually knew about two of them. I didn't even know there was a third, let alone a fourth, a fifth, and an, another one. I'm surprised Disney hasn't done an animated one. Oh, God. It. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm, that's what, Please, nobody request High School Musical. I really don't want to see it. So let's, let's get into the music, uh, which was done by John Debney. Who scored music for TNG, DS9, Sequest, Doctor Who, and later went on to compose scores for uh, I Know What You Did Last Summer and Elf and Sin City and Bruce Almighty. One of the movies he composed for that I remember absolutely loving when it came out was Cutthroat Island back in Cutthroat 95. Cutthroat Island. Was that Gina Davis? It was. <laughs> and as Stewie asked, whatever happened to Gina Davis? She drove off a cliff and fell in Louise. <laughs> she died. <laughs> Though, to be fair, I have not watched Cutthroat Island since 95. I remember it being awesome, but I'm pretty sure that it's not. You know because how Rotten Tomatoes holds it at, at 38%. But what's so, the audience review? Uh, I think it's at 38%. <laughs> so, And then the, the music was also done by James Horner. And the only reason why I really mention that uh, is because he was originally sl- slated to score this movie. But then he couldn't do it, and so Debney ended up doing the score. But he came back and did... The the Come Little Children song with Sarah oh. Jessica Parker. Yeah, so, and I remember reading that a lot of people seem to think that that was like from, Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah, from an Edgar Allan Poe story or that's, poem. That's no, because never heard that. that's because the internet's full of stupid. Children. Was Edgar was was Edgar Allan Poe? And I don't know this, and I'm not trying to be uh, controversial. Uh, is was Edgar Allan Poe like a pedophile, or was it? No, married, rumored. I feel like he married someone really. He young. married like a fourteen-year-old cousin, didn't he? Yeah, like I think that's. Where I'm, that I'm wondering where the, I'm wondering. I'm wondering where this thing came from. Where, what's the genesis of this idea? Where he was, he just sat out on his balcony. He's like, <laughs> "Come, little children, I'll take well, you away." Well, they married in in 1835, and she was born in 1822. Ugh. She's like 13. Yes, yeah, she's, she's 13. That's gross. Hey, if she can't drive, she can't get away. Uh, anyway, oh. let's get in. Let's get into the cast. Blow, blow. Let's get into blow, the cast. On. So uh, the first and foremost, and really the biggest star of this movie is Bette Midler, mm-hmm. who plays Winifred Sanderson. She's the leader of the Sanderson sisters, the witches, and she's the oldest. <gasps> Wake up! Wake up, sleepyhead. Oh, I missed you. Did you miss me too? <sighs> Come on, now we've got work to do. <laughs> really? Uh, she is a Grammy award-winning singer and songwriter and an Oscar-nominated actress. Uh, she Her first role was in 1966 in the movie Hawaii with Julie Andrews. Uh, it was a bit part. She didn't really do a whole lot. But she did use the money then to purchase her ticket to get to Broadway, where she did a bunch of off-Broadway work and then joined Fiddler from 66 to 69 as that'd one be, of the sisters which that'd is, be Fiddler uh, on the Roof for all yeah. of you uninitiated Broadway people out there like <laughs> sorry me. I was like oh Fiddler yeah you know oh uh, you know like Les Mis Fiddler let's just not na- use the whole name of the freaking play well okay so one a, a musical How to Succeed in Business without really trying it's just way too fucking long so you just see you, so you just say How to Succeed yeah yeah 
1970, this is something that I did not know. She began working with a relatively unknown uh, piano accompanist named Barry Manilow, where they would actually sing and perform at the famous New York gay bathhouse Continental Baths. Manilow then helped her produce her first uh, debut album, The Divine Miss M, and then several other albums later. She ended up doing like 14 albums and winning, you know, a ton of Grammys, and she's like kind of a big deal. Oh, um, Bette Midler. <laughs> yeah, now, you know. Before we move on to the next person, I just have to say that Bette Midler in this movie... Carries this movie. No, she does. But I said while we were watching it the other night... Because you watched it with, with I Chelsea, watched it, right? yeah. yeah watched I said it. while we were watching it, I said, Bette Midler, I'm surprised there's any scenery left. Because she's chewed it all. Oh, yeah, she, she ate it all. She, she, and nom, it, nom, it nom, works. nom. She, it so <laughs> works. She hams it up so hard in this movie... But it 100% absolutely works. And it is hilarious. Hold me. What a pretty spider. (laughs) Let me make one thing perfectly clear. The magic that brought us back only works tonight. On all Hallow's Eve, when the sun comes up, we are dust. Dust? Dust. Dust. (laughs) Fortunately... The potion I brewed the night we were hanged would keep us alive and young forever. <sighs> Unfortunately, the recipe for that potion is in my spellbook, and the little wretches have stolen it. Therefore, it stands to reason, does it not, sisters dear, that we must find the book, brew the potion, and suck the lives out of the children of Salem before sunrise? Otherwise, it's curtains. We evaporate. We cease to exist. Dust thou come. She's so good in it, though. She's, she's so good. So good. It's like you oh. can't help but like love her in this movie. And then I think she even said that this was like up until the point in her career, this was the most fun she ever had on set because she was having fun. You could tell by watching it. <laughs> yeah, she's just like in every scene. She's like, what? <laughs> Get out of me! You know, it's like half of her scenes with her sisters are her doing like like uh, Three Stooges type crap where she's where she's going like. And she's smacking it's him like, in the head. Yeah, the, the three of them are sort of like the uh, female Three Stooges, which is, I think, maybe why I liked it so much as a kid. I love the Three Stooges. I think they're hilarious. And so the three of them together are like a female version of that. And yeah, they, no, she's and Mo. Great. They're great. She's Mo, Mary is Larry, and uh, Sarah is Curly. Yeah. Totally. So, so Mary is the middle sister who's best known as the voice of Peggy Hill. Well, who is she? Her name is Kathy Najimi. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Let us fly. Fly! Wait! Sisters, I have an idea. Since this promises to be a most dire and stressful evening, I suggest we form a calming circle. I am calm! Oh, sister, thou art not being honest with thyself, are we? Huh? Huh? Come on. Give give me some. And many people probably remember her as Sister Mary Patrick. Like, when you see her face, Sister Mary Patrick from Sister Act 1 and 2... And she had uh, a major role in the TV show Veronica's Closet, which is kind of, like, not a great show. But it's one of those weird ones from the 90s that ended up with too many seasons that, like, you saw a couple episodes, you're like, how did this get three seasons? Oh, okay, that's how. Um, But Peggy Hill, goddammit, I love Peggy Hill. She's my favorite on that whole show. Oh, yeah! Oh, yeah! Bible champion! (laughs) She's great. Hello to Hank's wife! So Sarah Jessica Parker is Sarah Sanderson, the youngest sister, and she's and, supposed to be the sex symbol. Yeah, and, and she I was, was gonna, for me. I was gonna say, uh, in every like twelve to fifteen year old's boner fuel in nineteen ninety three. 
Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, yeah. I was ten. It was still boner fuel. It's fine. <laughs> Tis a black river. Perhaps it is not too deep. <laughs> Chelsea looks all kinds of awkward, but I mean, yeah. she was she was attractive. I was very young when this movie came out. Yeah, you yeah. were. You were five. So. Yeah. Yeah. Mo most famous character that she has ever done is Carrie Bradshaw from Sex and the City. Did you ever watch that yes, show? Yes, I've watched every episode of that show. I'm so sorry. It's, it's just, so good, though, when you're a girl. You just can't help but love it. Uh, Sex and the City is just like Friends in that you have a bunch of people who shouldn't be able to afford where they live, but oh, they yeah. do. You can go see the... So, her closet, that is non-existent. Yeah, you can go see in New York where her apartment's supposed to be. Yeah. And then, like, you look at what she did for for a living. You're like, oh, she's a part time freelance writer for like a uh, whatever. She, like, she gets paid. <laughs> she gets paid forty thousand dollars for every word that she writes. She yeah. must. That's the only way to afford to live there. It's like in Friends, their apartment has to be rent controlled because of where they live. Yeah. Like, I mean, where they are is in. The, there's no way that they could afford to live there. So maybe that's why. Maybe that's why it was such a big deal in the episode of Friends where they they did the contest. Where uh, where Monica and Rachel did the contest with Joey and Chandler oh, and to like swap, yeah, where they had to swap apartments, and, and they were like, and they one were of the devastated. questions, one of the questions that they missed was who does the TV guide come to, and and they missed it because they said Chenandler Bong, and they said no, it's Ms. Chenandler Bong, and that's how, why they missed it because that's who, yeah. yeah. So whatever, yeah, I've yeah. seen a lot of Friends. Um, <laughs> yeah, she's uh, Sarah Jessica Parker. She's married to uh, Matthew Broderick, and she's still married to him. And she is famously the butt of many jokes by South Park and Family Guy, referring to her as having the face of a horse, a foot face, and looking, quote, like a transvestite donkey witch. And there's a link to that one on South Park. That's an amazing, that's a, that, that's the one that I remember the most of. And, and I don't think she's that... She's not. She's not. I think it's just like it's easy because she's famous and she does. And look it's a become like weird. a. It's become like a trope. Yeah. yeah. The next character, but, she, but she's done a bunch of movies though. Yeah. It's not like this is the only thing she's done. Like yeah, it was she, First Wives Club and Family of the Launch, Footloose, a bunch of other stuff. So. Yeah, First Wives Club. She actually worked with Bette Midler again. Yeah, exactly. That's actually not a bad movie. I love that movie. It's. <laughs> Uh, uh, okay, you know what? I'll admit, sing at the end? it's uh, kind of a guilty pleasure. It, it's really it's good. Dude. It's not a bad movie. You're like, so, get him, get him. so the next guy is Max. Yeah, Max who, is is your main protagonist, and he's a teenager originally from L.A. that moves to Salem, Massachusetts, with his family for unknown reasons. You figure that it's like a parent moving because of a job, and he's played by Omri Katz. And what kind of a name is Omri? I don't know. Uh, I think it's Jewish. I'm, I'm so often yeah. Katz. Uh, yeah. He's a retired actor. He was in Adventures in Dinosaur City and the TV series Erie, Indiana, and Dallas. But that's about it. He, he's a hairdresser in L.A. now. So Good for the, him. The next one is is probably the second, maybe third most famous in this, which is Thor Birch. She plays Danny, the, the little sister. Mm -hmm. So she, and uh, like as a fun side note, uh, her and Neil Patrick Harris were in a movie called Purple People Eater in 1988. I remember which that. had Ned Beatty and Shelley Winters and Dustin Diamond of all people, and and I believe uh, what is it, Little Richard, was huh. in it. Maybe. Also, yeah, it's it, it's it's weird. I mean, she's done a ton a ton of stuff. I I think Patriot Games and Smokers and Ghost World, yeah. But she her big thing was American Beauty, yeah, and I she, believe she had to get 
she was 16 at the time that they did American Beauty. She had to get a, a waiver from her parents to allow to be naked or to be topless on on screen for that. Yeah, that was weird. Which is kind of kind of icky, but you know, whatever. Um, she won a BAFTA for that role, though. She did. Yeah, I mean, it, well earned. It's a great movie. The next one, the next one is one I had like the biggest crush on, which is uh, Vanessa Shaw, who was Alice and Max's love interest. Can in the I movie. just say her name is spelled Vanessa V I N E S S A? It's not Vanessa. Yeah, it's that's. Weird. I was like, who does that? Someone who owns a car dealership. <laughs> oh, <laughs> a used car dealership. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, so that's a low blow there. And, okay, I have to, and I, I mentioned this while we were watching it. So the character of Vanessa Shaw, her parents are like, have got to be stupid rich anyway, because they make a point when they're when Max is taking uh, Danny trick or treating. They see this giant house and they're like, oh my god, who lives here? And then they walk in or they knock on the door, nobody answers, and they just fucking walk into their house. And they see a bu- bucket of candy and they're like, oh, jackpot. And they start raiding the candy. And then it turns out it's Vanessa's house. And they're having a full-on masquerade party. Like 17th century. Yeah, I was like French. Yeah. French full period. Well, this is like, I mean, this is supposed to be like revolutionary era, t- uh, era too. So 1600s would have been or, anywhere, not just France. Yeah. yeah. But the white wigs and the, the, the powder face. And the whole thing, I mean... And she comes down and she's like, oh, this is just, this is one of my mom's old dresses or something. Like, like my yeah, parents you know. do this every year. Yeah, yeah. Like, my, oh, my, pa- my, parents blow, my parents blow like 25 grand in 1993 and, on a Halloween party. And what's weird about that is they, ha- they have this like uh, town party where everybody goes anyways. So all the kids go trick-or-treating un- oh, unsupervised. This, was, this must have been like the elite Halloween party, not yeah. the one oh, at the gym. Yeah. This is the one this is, the elite This house. is all the jack holes in the town that nobody liked. The town yeah. elders. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah basically. The, so, the, the literal, the literal like powdered wigs. <laughs> yeah, oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually, that was like what went through my brain when I saw that scene. Yeah, so um, she, she uh, Vanessa Shaw uh, is a, uh, this was the first movie that she was really in. And she went her. She the later went on to th- uh, star, not star, but be in movies like. Uh, she had a supporting role in yeah. Eyes Wide Shut. Eyes Wide Shut, the remake of the The Hills Had Eyes, Forty Days and Forty Nights, and um, a new show on Netflix called Clinical. Yeah, so it. it I, I watched a trailer for it when I was building the the notes. It actually looks pretty good. Um, I, I believe it's a it's a horror. I've got enough series. shows. I've got enough shows to watch. Oh, so yeah, tell me about it. The next character. This is a serious, like, I have to say, this is a serious James Earl Jones, David Prowse type situation. Like, dick move, yeah. Yeah. So, Thackeray Binks is the uh, secondary protagonist, kind of, and the character is originally a teenager from 1693, 300 years before the movie takes place, and he is the, he, his sister gets captured by the Sanderson sisters and he goes and tries to rescue her, but he fails and her sister dies. And then he gets cursed to be an immortal cat for the rest of his... To live with his guilt. Yeah, to live with his guilt. Yeah. And his, his live action character is played by Sean Murray. And then there's a cat that is separate. Yeah. As it's an animatronic... CGI. Now, cat. if you want to see what Sean uh, Sean Murray looks like today, he is he currently is a starring role on NCIS as Special Agent Timothy McGee. If you watch that show, then he's on. I don't watch it, but if you do, then then you'll see him. So here's but, the here's the David Prowse, James Earl Jones, Dick move. Sean Murray does not voice himself when he is his own character. When he is his own, like he's live action Sean Murray. They actually dubbed over his voice with Jason Marsden. 
who we've talked about a bunch of times on a oh, bunch. He's, so he's many a, times. He's a really prolific voice actor, and he's also a normal actor. He's been in a lot of stuff, but he's mostly known as a voice actor. And he's the voice of Thackeray Binks, the cat. But they went and dubbed him over so that he was the voice of Thackeray Binks, the human, too. So it's weird. He, like, Sean Murray voices, like, he mouths all the things. He obviously said the lines. And then they just went in post-production and they dubbed him over. I remember being a kid. Do you remember this, Chelsea? Do you remember, like, watching this and thinking, oh, that voice sounds weird? Um, I, I remember watching this because I was also like a big fan of the Goofy movie. So I remember watching this and immediately being like, that's not that person. That's Max. That's Max. Like immediately. And so, I don't know. It does look kind of weird, but I don't think I noticed it as a kid so much. Like I didn't put two and two together and be like, that's that's not Max. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it was just kind of a recognizing the actual voice, not the person. Yeah. Yeah. His voice, James Marsden, again, we've discussed him a ton of times. Goofy movie, Gummy Bears, Step by Step. Life of Pets, Code, uh, Star Wars, Codor. I mean, good God, a bunch of stuff. But you know, the thing is, is it's it is weird, right? I mean, yeah. like looking got, back, it's so weird. I I, th- I think this is what this is like my own theory because I think you guys watched some documentaries the other night, right, mm-hmm. on Hocus Pocus that I haven't had a chance to watch. But it's just my own in my brain. Mm-hmm. I, I was thinking that what they probably did in production is they didn't have somebody cast as live action Thackeray Binks at first. And they probably went into production with the idea that they're going to have a talking cat. And they did all of that, that they filmed the whole movie, except for the original scenes with Thackeray Binks live action. And so they had James Marsden cast. And then when they went back to film it, he wasn't available or something. No, because he looks, I think he looks too old. He might. Yeah. I mean, this movie, he was born in 74, I think. And so, so he would have been twenty. He would have been nineteen years old when this came out, and he would have looked too young for a twelve-year-old kid, or too old, or whatever. Or, yeah, you know. So I think what happened was is they cast him for the voice, filmed the movie, did the voice work for the cat, and then had to go back and like, oh shit, we got to have live action. Found a guy for live action, and then they're like, oh, it's fine. He'll just dub over him. Yeah, it's still a dick move. But. Yeah, it's still a dick move. Yeah. Now the next guy uh, is the zombie, which is. The lover of, Winifred. I believe, Winifred, but also the lover of Sarah. Sarah because yeah. That's why he got killed. That's why he got killed, because he was screwing two sisters at <laughs> yeah. once. That was a, that's I love, a mistake. I love that. That's a mistake. <laughs> I love that part real. where she, so uh, Winifred, like, brings him back to life. He's like, and, yeah, and when Sarah sees him, she goes, like, she's like, Hi, Billy. Hi, Billy. And he's like, <laughs> he like he does this like mm, and he like waves to like kind of into into Sarah and when Winifred talks to him he's like oh whatever and kind of yeah. like bats at her with his hand and he doesn't talk the whole movie until the very end and he's he's portrayed by a guy named Doug Jones who's a former car, uh, contortionist who was the pale man in Pan's Labyrinth the body actor for Abe Sapien in the Hellboy movies and he's currently the the character Saru the science officer on the new Star Trek to uh, Star Trek Discovery, which is at the time that we're recording this, not out yet, and apparently that character is a Kelpian, which is a new species. I don't know anything about, but I'm kind of excited because Sean and I are pretty big Trekkies. I'm wearing a Star Trek shirt right now. I'm not, but you have the same shirt. So, I do. Yeah. So the next character is uh, Dave Dennison, who is Max and Danny's father. He's played by Charles Rocket. 
Um, we mentioned him a little bit in uh, Titan AE, and he had a bit part in that movie. He's most famous as the sort of, uh, he's a member of the cast of like the lost cast of SNL. I think from, it was 81. Yeah, 80, 81, something like that. He got kicked off the show uh, for yelling, for, for, for saying fuck live on the air. Yeah, he was in character. So they like went to the very end where they're like, oh, good night, everybody. You know, where everybody comes on stage and the band's playing in the back. And what happened was, is that happened, and he was still in character from the scene before, and and he said the word "fuck" live on television, which is kind of, kind of a no-no. It's kind it of was, it's kind of frowned upon. Yeah, and and that combined with the fact that he was sort of in feud with Eddie Murphy and Joe Piscopo, mm-hmm. who Charles Rocket was was part of the cast when he was on that SNL cast. He was billed as like the star. And it ended up being Piscopo and Eddie Murphy who kind of outshined him. Mm-hmm. And there was some tension between the two of them as well as the producer of the show at the time. And so then he ended up kind of getting kicked off. But he's done stuff like Dances with Wolves and Dumb and Dumber and a bunch of character roles on TV shows. So yeah. Unfortunately, um, he ended up act- apparently committing suicide in 2005. Purportedly, yes. Yeah. Uh, we don't need to go too far into it because it's pretty gruesome, actually. You, but, can find, uh, you can find information about it if you yeah. really want to. Yeah. Um, the the next character is uh, is uh, Max and Danny's mother, Jenny Dennison, who's played by Stephanie uh, Farisi or Farakey. Um, she's mostly a character actress, and she's been in shows like Modern Family and Castle and How I Met Your Mother and How to Get Away with Murder. Um, there's a bunch of other sort of miscellaneous characters, but there's two that, that we should talk about yeah. because they're they're kind of a big deal. So oh, the yeah. first one is. In the movie, they end up trick-or-treating at somebody's house, right? And they, they the Sanderson sisters actually do, by accident. They get dropped off a bus by the creepiest bus driver oh, ever. Let's finish this and we'll talk about yeah, the bus yeah. driver. And they end up in front of this house, which has... The, the door opens and they think it's the devil who lives there. And it's, just, like, it's just a dude wearing a devil costume. No, and it's not even a good devil costume. It's like a devil costume that you would buy at like a pharmacy. It's, yes. it's terrible. And it's it's... Gary Marshall, who is an extremely important guy to the world of television. He is a famous producer, director, and voice actor, mostly known as the creator for Happy Days and all of its spinoffs like Laverne and Shirley and Mork and Mindy. He's developed TV adaptations for The Odd Couple. He directed Pretty Woman, Runaway Bride, Princess Diaries 1 and 2, and numerous other films, including I think his last film was 2016's Mother's Day. He died last year. And, And then... In the movie, his wife, quote, is actually his sister in real life, which is Penny Marshall. And in real life, Penny Marshall is uh, Laverne from Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley. And she was actually married to Rob Reiner for 10 years. And she directed the movie uh, Big and A League of Their Own and Riding in Cars with Boys. So, I mean, those are kind of like two big powerhouse people that ended up in this movie. Sort of and, they're this, un- and they're uncredited. They're uncredited, movie. which is insane. Because they're huge. God, I love A League of Their Own. Yes. There's a bunch of other stuff I think we can discuss, but let's get into the movie because we spent a lot of time on this and kind of tangenty, right? So Yeah, we can we can bring up other stuff as they go along. So I think the (laughs) this movie is this movie has like all these little subtle things in it that are so adult, and I don't know how they snuck it through a Disney movie. Like the the best line, and you pointed it out uh, when we were watching it, when uh, when the uh, The bus driver. The bus driver. Go go ahead. He goes, like, he pulls up and then he opens the door and he's like, hubba bubba, boil and trouble or something like that. And then they're like, eventually they get along to like, we desire children. He's like, oh, 
well, I can help with that. It might take me a couple of tries. But yeah. It shouldn't be a problem. And I'm just like, this is a children's movie. Yeah, and then my thought was, he's a fucking bus driver. Yeah, like, well, And the bus is like completely empty. Completely course, empty, like, middle of the night. Bubble, bubble. I'm in trouble. Tell me, friend, what is this contraption? I call it a bus. A bus. A bus. <laughs> and its purpose? To convey gorgeous creatures such as yourselves to your most forbidden desires. Well, then, sir, we desire children. <laughs> hey, it may take me a couple of tries, but I don't think that'd be a problem. I'm falling up. First of all, what weird, like, what weird world is there, like, a bus route through, like, no-name America, like, random, you know. Like, it pulls up right at the right time. It pulls time, up right at the right time. Completely empty with the on bus driver ever. Yeah, and, and like, oh, he's, su- he's such, like, the, the bus driver is such... A sexual predator. He's just like, yeah. What does he say? He goes, hubba bubba. What's up? I'm in trouble. Yeah, hubba bubba. I'm in trouble. What's up, ladies? Yeah. And he's like, he is just skeeving on all three of them. And then later on in that scene, Sarah's sitting on his lap, and he's like bouncing her as they're driving. Well, the other thing that he says is that he can transport them to their most forbidden desires. And they're like, ooh, he's got all the lines. No, no, no. He's the smoothest guy in Salem, apparently. Uh yeah no he's he's kind of icky actually. But he's like, you know, would you like to try my magic potion? It'll make you sleepy. Oh, oh, maybe maybe he's friends with Bill Cosby. He might be. Aww. You know, yeah. so he kind of looks like it's not the guy, but he kind of looks like the the main star from the TV show Eureka. Uh, Eureka. Oh, a little bit. bit. Yeah, a little bit. The the thing I liked about this, uh, not liked, but the thing that I thought was interesting about this movie is it, it's along the same lines as this movie, and I think it's part of the trivia that you find on like IMDb. This movie talks about Max as being a virgin because a plot point in the movie is that a virgin has to light this black flame candle to bring back the Sanderson sisters, and that's what. So he he's like. He's like, well, let's light this candle. And he lights it. And the candle turns black. And then a couple of different times, they say, like, some virgin lit the candle. And he's like, oh, okay. Like, it's like opposite slut shaming. Yeah. Like, oh, you're a virgin. God, lit yeah. that candle. Yeah. And, and it's really weird in a Disney movie for them to talk about virgin, virgins, have a fairly blatant sexual predator <laughs> driving a bus, and then, like, so the thing that pissed me off too, a thing that pissed me off about this movie is it did like the bully trope. Oh, the two guys. The two guys. Can we, I just can I just mention really quickly the, the okay, so the bullies one of the bullies has a what appears to be a fedora and ice shaved in the and the, back the word of his head. <laughs> <laughs> like so, what? So he's got the word ice shaved into the back of his head, which is like obviously a, an early 90s reference to vanilla ice. And I hope all, so. And all white kids, uh, I know myself, thought that vanilla ice was super rad because he was a white rapper. And it, first of all, vanilla ice was not cool. Not Van bad. Winkle is not like the coolest. Oddly enough, born on Halloween. Um, oh, fun fact. Don't know why I know that, but but he was. Uh but Vanilla Ice was definitely not cool by 93. And when this movie was in production in 92, 
still definitely not cool. He had done the movie Cool as Ice in 1991, which I have. If you guys want to watch it, we can watch no, it. Nobody wants to watch no, it. thank you. Oh, no, we should watch it. <laughs> no. So, Vanilla Ice did Cool as Ice in 91, and by then he was no longer cool. He was no longer cool by, I'd say, mid-1990. So Well, sometimes maybe it took a while for that well, to East Coast. It maybe. And that's actually what I wanted to talk about. It wasn't on East Coast. There's this this like running theory in Napoleon Dynamite. The movie Napoleon Dynamite is a perfect example of this, that... There's this theory that culture in the United States tends to happen on the coasts and then slowly migrate inwards, which is why when you watch Napoleon Dynamite, which came out in, what, 2005, I think, that that they're, like, really into, ba- like, old Bas- Backstreet Boys from, like, 97, 98. And they're like, who you are? And they're all, like, like doing all the moves and stuff. And all their clothes make no sense. Like, the fashion is all out of place. Like, things are new. Like, the, the tech is new, but... But it was sort of like pre-well-established well, internet. And so everything was sort of like a decade behind. Maybe it was supposed to be like that. The, like that's why he wasn't so afraid of the bullies at first. Is like, oh, these guys are trying to be cool. Like yeah. this guy's got ice I mean, shaved into the back of his head. It, and it's, then... it's just like Maybe, every t- yeah. It's just like every time that I see some movie where it's, it's a movie taking place in like 1950 or 1960. And I see some like street toughs, you know, some, some... <laughs> Some yeah, some some bullies. <laughs> yeah, some, the, the, the finger snapping Chelsea is but just, too good. Just like <laughs> you, you see these movies where like there's these bullies in it's the 1960s or 1950s and the bullies or or whatever they're like in gangs and you look at these guys and you're like who the fuck would be scared of these guys? Squares, Real. squares are scared of those guys. Yeah, and and it's the same yeah, thing. Air square, that, that's good. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's the same thing. Like these these two bullies are the type of people it's essentially like you know what it's like it's like if if jay and silent bob were bullies because that's who they remind me of they remind me of jay and silent bob because there's like a there's like a fatter brown haired one and like a skinny blonde one yeah and they're the 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 skinny blonde one is super dumb and the other one is just as dumb but he doesn't talk as much yeah but and they steal the kid's shoes because apparently like that's a thing we were watching it and Joy's like why did they steal the shoes it's like you've seen this movie we watch this every year well and I think Deshaun was like who gets their like who steals shoes like when does this happen well the point that I made was that if you think about it those were like really expensive shoes so at the time those were $100 shoes in 93 so it's like you know, it, Valuable, it's definitely something that you could maybe understand somebody stealing. I like that it comes full circle and he takes them back at the end of the movie, though. Oh, yeah. I love yeah. that. Well, there's all kinds of, like, weird things. Like, what Sean was saying, like, and, like, what you're kind of getting at. There's all these, like, little weird things that, for me, make the movie more so than the overall story. I mean, yeah, we could talk about the... We could go step-by-step step through the story. Probably from memory, not even looking at anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But... Like, the little things are the things that I think are more entertaining. Like, like um, when they end up in the revolutionary-themed party at Allison's house, and Thor Birch is saying that her brother is really into, what do they call them, yabos? Yabos, yes. Uh, what he's talking I've about, never, Allison's boobs, which I, is yeah. a term I've never heard I was heard gonna of. say, I've never heard anybody ever describe boobs as yabos. I think they use Snack that. trays, yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, fun bags, sure. The Yabos? Yabo? That just reminds me of the of the the, the little puppet guy from uh, the Simpsons. Gabo. 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 Yeah. No, you're right. It does. Like, but the, then like, there's another thing too, where where they're at the Sanderson house, which 
How convenient is it that Allison's mom used to work at the Sanderson I, Museum? We, I, I pointed, come on, I pointed come on. something out when we were watching that. So she says, oh, my mom used to work at the Sanderson Museum. Uh, I can get us in. And then they go there. How long ago? Like, how, one, how old is Allison's mom? And two, how A billion how, fucking years yeah, old. And how, like how long ago everywhere. did she work there? Uh, yeah, because you walk in and it looks like the place has never been used. It hasn't like been used in like years. yeah, at least sixty or seventy years. But at the same time, it has Zippo lighters. At the yeah. same time, everything's covered in cobwebs. It looks like it hasn't like been touched in like decades. But this is just something that caught my eye. There is when they're in this when they're in the museum. There's this like little section where there's like a little candy rack. This, I know. Oh I'm, yeah, it's lemon heads and something else. Lemon right? heads and, and then the other can the other candy is something called cherry clan that is like the the cherry flavored version of lemon heads and instead of being like clan like who cooks clan, it's actually like crazy racist Asian depiction of of like a like an Asian person with a Chinese like straw like the, cone the rice hat, hat with oh the rice God. hat. And then like this, like super Big racist. Teeth or something. Yeah. Yes. And and the eyes and the whole thing. And it's called Cherry Clan. And then there's like fake sort of pseudo Japanese Chinese writing in the back. The, first of all, the candy is really delicious. Not gonna lie. But <laughs> oh, so, it's a real candy. It's a real candy. I've had it. And and I the reason why I was like, oh, I recognize that is because I hadn't had that since I was a kid. But they stopped making those boxes. I want to say, those boxes were only being made, because I went and I looked it up because I'm a weirdo, they're, they're only being made from like the 70s through, or the late 70s through, I want to say the early 90s. So, it couldn't have been closed that long. I mean, maybe you know she I mean? was in high school or something. Maybe? I don't know. That's hard though, but, but that was a little, a little yeah, I mean, I was But it's some like super ching chong racist shit. <laughs> like, not gonna lie. It's ridiculous. But no, so the, the, that part was, that part was silly. There was, uh, there were other I parts. do like to make fire in their, in his hand thing. And they're like, oh, he's a, he's a warlock and he makes fire with a Zippo. And then he calls it, uh, what was it? The like burning rain or The something? burning rain of fire. Uh, which yeah. I, then made me think of Burning Ring of Fire, yeah. and yeah, there's like a lot of these like, little. Water. There's a lot of these like weird like <laughs> things that it just. You want to know one thing that I actually didn't get until way later than I probably should have is at the end, like the climactic scenes, the where they're battling the witches at, in the graveyard, and uh, Winifred falls off of her. Off of her broom, and then she she. Turns, I know what you're getting at. And I didn't get it until spoiler we it alert. This time. She turns into a statue and then explodes. Whereas the other two sisters, like the sun came up because that's that's basically the storyline. Is they that have until the sun comes up. They have one night, one one night to Halloween. yeah to to complete their spell and grab a bunch of kids' life forces so that they can live forever. And if they don't, then they die. So at the end of the movie, when the sun is coming up. Sarah and Mary both just sort of explode, but but uh, Winifred falls off of her. Winnie falls off of her off of her broomstick before they explode. Before they explode and lands and on the ground. Before the sun comes up. Before the sun comes down, comes up, and she turns into a statue. And for for whatever reason, I always thought that because she was the leader and the most powerful, instead of just exploding when the sun came up, she would turn to stone and then explode. It, it didn't realize until so much later that she turned to stone because she stepped on the hollowed ground. Yeah, I didn't pick that up until I watched it this time. 
I did not know that until just now. So <laughs> thanks for sharing. Yeah, well, because they so talk about hollowed ground this whole time. Yeah. yeah, they can't step foot. That's why they have to raise yeah. Billy Butcherson and to when get that, them. When oh. when I realized, I was like, oh my god. Just well, and then like whoop. when she falls off her broom too, she like flattens into the ground and then just like gets up too. It's like yeah. super dramatic. But I totally didn't <laughs> see that until just now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. when when they come out of the sa- uh, in the beginning the when they synchronized com- walk. Yeah, that's yeah. Joy's favorite part of the movie. It's is the, the synchronized the walk when they when they are like, it's a black river. It's a black river. And they push Sarah. And, and they like, push Sarah onto the black Tis river. Firm. <laughs> that's what she said. I also uh, like that's, that that's, we're like amuck 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 amuck, and she's like dancing the whole time and like eating spiders in the background. Like yeah. I wonder if that was crazy. all scripted or they were just like have fun with it. And the the one time it's probably a combination of the two. Yeah. yeah the I one imagine. the one time where she actually helps, where where Winnie is trying to remember the spell to like make the life sucking juice, mm-hmm. and she's like, remember when you remember, remember when you remember. Now I remember. <laughs> Yes. The book was there. Mm-hmm. You, Mary, you were here. Mm-hmm. Sarah, you were in the back, dancing idiotically. And the book said, yes. I remember it like it was yesterday. Yes. Oil of boil mm-hmm. and a dead man's nose. Dead man's toes! Yes. She's trying to concentrate. No. <laughs> dead man's toes, and then she gets smacked. And she's actually right. It was dead yeah. man's toes. Well, like, the two, the two other sisters, Mary and Sarah... They have this like weird dynamic where uh, Sarah is sort of this f- flighty, crazy. kind of crazy character, and then Mary is, um, I don't, she's sort of the bumbling oaf, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's like when they all take off, like their their brooms get stolen, and they all take off. One's on a broom, one's on a mop, and then the the last sister Mary has to take off on a, on a fucking vacuum cleaner, yeah. and and so she takes off and she takes this vacuum and she like shoves it into her crotch, and when she does, if you pay attention, she goes, oh yeah, she has this grunt when <laughs> the vacuum goes into her crotch. Yeah. <laughs> Winnie. And like, and so they when they fly away, her being on a vacuum ends up being like sort of part of the story because they get the cord. They get the the our protagonists get the cord, and they're like tugging on it to try and keep them from getting away. And the dynamic of the three of them together, the way that I, I don't know if it's the way that was scripted or just the way that they they kind of acted together on set, but they had this really good sync. You know, as the movie kind of progressed, where it felt more natural than forced. Yeah. Right. I, I was also thinking, like, if they if they ever tried to remake this movie, because if if you think about it, the three sisters of the three sisters, please don't remake it. I know. I'm just saying. It. Sorry. Sorry to throw this out there, but if they did, that's how it happens. That's how yeah. we get Ghostbusters. Yeah. No. So the if you think about the dynamic of the three sisters. Winnie is really the only evil one. Like the other two are evil by proxy, I guess they're, because they're evil by idiocy. Well, they're they're evil by proxy because they also like take the life force of children, but they're mostly just sort of like like woo, like they they're not evil. They're evil because they do what Winnie tells them to do. And I feel like that makes their characters way more sympathetic than they probably should be. Yeah. Because if you want to have them be a villain, like if you want to have just one villain, because Winnie's really the villain. Make Winnie the villain and don't have other sisters. But it works in the context of it because it's the three Sanderson sisters and they each provide a role. But they're not they're they're not depicted as being evil. Like no. Mary Mary and Sarah are not evil. They're just they're just like lackeys essentially. They're, yeah. 
Well, and, and even it, though she's she's evil, like she's damn talented at that at that musical performance in the in the in the middle. Because fuck, that's oh, my favorite part of the whole yeah, movie. At the like Halloween party, the "I Put a Spell on You" song. Oh, yeah, that is, I, that is like deep, like deep seated into my into my psyche. Yeah, that, that. Well, what I was saying is, like, if they were ever to remake it, I would think that you would want to have the other two sisters be more sympathetic to the human plight well no so if you you have to do one of two things you either have to somehow redeem the other two and give them some kind of like way out of yeah give them some kind of way out of of winnie's like whatever grasp grasp, and and make them redeemable somehow like they don't actually want to do this stuff but winnie makes them do it so they you have to give them an out or you have to make them evil too you have to you can still do like the same dynamics but you can make them more malicious in their in their actions you can have almost like you can uh you can do i i think of it like D alignments like you could have winnie be the chaotic or the you could have winnie be like the, the for our fans out there who don't know what D is it is dungeons and dragons it is fantasy football uh for people who have less sex yeah no, so that's, that's the so trick. like if you had if you had D&D, twenty sided die all day, bitch. That's yeah. it. If you had if you had D and D alignments, I would think that that uh, Winnie would be like neutral evil because she just does or no, Not she's no she's lawful evil. Mary's like neutral evil, and then Sarah is like chaotic, chaotic, chaotic yeah, evil. I was gonna say Sarah's for so, sure chaotic. So yeah. you would have Sarah being someone who's just sort of wacky, but she still is like really malicious in her wackiness, yeah. rather than just being flighty and being. Whoa, and then Mary is the one that sort of like tries to like ease things. And that would like be, be the... that would be an interesting take as a way to do a sequel because and that that's actually something to get into because they've talked about doing a sequel. There's been a lot of controversy about is there a sequel? Isn't there a sequel? Is there a sequel? Isn't there a sequel? And people, including Bette Midler and Sarah Jessica Parker and uh, uh, Najimi, everybody saying like, yeah, you know, we're on board. And then people saying, oh, it's not happening. And then people saying, oh, well, but maybe it is happening. And there's a script. And then it's not happening. Oh, it's like it's like Ghostbusters 3 all over oh, again. Oh, fuck. I just, I think if they made a sequel or if they remade it, it would like, I wouldn't want to see it. Because it would ruin what I already love. Like, I love this movie year-round. I could watch it any time of the year, no problem. I have... So your nostalgia glasses aren't ruined by watching this, because you no. probably watch it every year anyways. Oh, yeah. I have yeah. one. I have two separate DVDs. You can't You movie. can't have nostalgia goggles if you never stop watching it. <laughs> That's yeah. true. Well, and, and the thing is, is you are not alone, because not only did this movie... Not only did this movie end up being something that was... A mild box office hit at the time. It ended up being a huge hit in the post. So its VHS release in North America was 94 and later went to DVD in 2002. Following the release of this DVD release, it has shown close to, uh, give or take, about a million dollars in DVD sales every October alone. Holy... in the mid to late 90s, the film was rebroadcast annually on ABC and has been so ever since on the Disney Channel or ABC Family or whatever. Now it's on ABC Family's 13 Nights of Halloween lineup. The film has continuously brought record viewing numbers to the lineup, including a 2009 broadcast or that had 2.5 million people watch this movie. In 2011... The, the airing became the lineup's most watched programming with 2.8 million viewers ever, ever. So that means 
ABC Family could just fucking show Hocus Pocus all year long, and it would probably get better viewing than whatever junk they're showing the rest of the year. I mean, it's like, okay, so people my age, like, I grew up on this movie. It obviously came out when I was five. I've watched it probably every year since then. And when I have kids, I'm going to love to show them this movie, and they're going to love it. It's like not Halloween without this movie. Well, 2002 till now. Just 2002 till now. That is, what, $15 million total. So it has made almost half of its operating budget in DVD sales like 10 years plus after the movie was released. It's like a cult movie now. Yeah, you know, that kind of reminds me of Wizard of Oz because Wizard of Oz, when it came out in 39, was not popular. In fact, it was pretty, um, pretty panned. And it didn't end up getting popular until Wizard of Oz started getting shown on TV. I think around Christmas time. In the 1960s, uh, mid-late 1960s when color television started coming in. When people could, when it was a good example of a movie that had color, that had also black and white. And so when the movie started kicking in in the 60s and 70s and the, the sales or the, the ratings for that movie picked up and then that movie got cult following, but not till decades after the movie was released that's kind of like how this is but on on granted a much smaller scale i think that's really kind of cool though you, you know what i mean i mean yeah how often does a movie end up making you more know money later more uh, as i would say okay so half of the money that it made in its box office release 10 15 years after the movie was released on dvd the only ones that that's I, pretty impressive yeah the only ones that i can think of are like maybe rocky horror or oh rocky horror makes a boatload of fucking money that's but it, it, yeah it makes it makes money like year after year because it's it's still constantly played in in a bunch of different places but yeah this movie is this movie has become i mean that's the thing is is like i was talking about at the beginning of the of the podcast it was Saying that this is a movie where you could literally set your kids in front of it and walk, and walk away. away. There's a few. There's a few like hell or dams in it, but it's fairly. Uh, whatever. It's fairly okay, innocuous. Also, though, they like burn these witches alive. Yeah, there is that scene where they they trick them going into the, to the kiln at the school and they literally light them on fire. And I I pointed that out. I was like, we're watching a kids movie where three women just got burned alive in an oven. In and an then oven. they danced. And it and Bette, like... Bette Midler's Jewish. So think about that tie-in. Oh, that just made it worse. Yeah, it just made it way worse. I, I wonder if a Jewish person in an oven in a Disney movie. I am looking for a children's book. So, let's get into some of the, I guess, uh, trivia. There's some cool stuff in here. One of them is just something that I noticed and then looked up before I built the notes for this, which is that when the kids put the boombox in the kiln and they lure the sisters in and then they set them on fire, the kids at some point end up in front of what looks like a, a weird fountain. Did you guys happen to notice that scene? And they have some dialogue in front of a fountain. Mm-hmm. Did you notice the fountain? I did. I did, did you? not. Okay, so the fountain, if it looks like the Friends fountain, it's because it is. It is legit the Friends fountain. And the I pulled up images from the Friends 
intro. Uh, intro and then the other intro and then I pulled up the friends uh, info about the friends fountain and found out that it's in Burbank at the Warner Brothers Ranch in Burbank and that that is where some of the filming for this movie took place. So it was like, oh, well, two and two together. Yeah, it most to. most of the filming took place on sound stages. Yeah, on in, sound stage in or, Disney or, Studios. or in a back lot, but all yeah, yeah in Burbank. So it makes a lot of sense, but it's something I didn't notice until I watched it this this year. Hmm. It's like the gift that keeps on giving it, this movie. It is the gift that keeps the on giving, giving tree. this movie. <laughs> It's the Giving Tree, except not as fucking depressing. Yeah, that book is depressing as hell. By the way, one one of the things that him so much it's so sad. One of the things he that loves I, him so much he cuts him down. Yeah, yeah, you know, oh, bring de- bring death upon your house. He's he's there with him forever. One of the things that I thought was a pretty interesting little tidbit about this movie is that the company that originally made the um, the uh, the Thackeray Binks cat, the animatronic, the CGI cat, it actually made the cat too well in cgi it's yeah, called i the, heard that yeah the company's called rhythm and hues so when they showed it to when they showed it to the disney the disney studio people they said that it was too realistic and that it might be too scary because it's so realistic because it was using fangs and it was like rah, 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 you know it was making like like scary faces and it was being angry with with like the witches yeah. and stuff so they're like you know you need to like tone it back a little bit you maybe Maybe make it look a little less real, which is why it tends to sometimes feel floaty. Well, floaty, but it also tends to uh, resemble the character Salem from from Sabrina, the yeah. teenage witch. Not nearly as like choppy animatronics, but it, it more is sort of that like rip, 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 like that yeah. that weird sort of the puppet motion. Looking, yeah. yeah, and then in in a similar in a similar vein, I, I was watching a uh, behind the behind the scenes making of like the special effects and part of it that freaked me the fuck out was so in all the wide shots uh of the witches flying oh you texted me about yeah. this so in all yeah. the wide shots of the of the witches flying like when they burst out of the the uh his the, house the, the denison yeah. house and they fly away and then some of the other scenes where they're just sort of flying in a wide shot they actually use these puppets that were constructed by a company and they modeled the puppets to look like look like them. They had pictures of them. And they like carved the faces, and they made it look. And they 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 dressed them up to look like the characters. And but they were like super small. They they were, like they were yeah Barbie they were, size. Yeah, they were they were like maybe eight inches long. And the way that they articulated them to to move, it was like they had like one wire on the head that controlled the body and it articulated like the rest of the body. So when it was flying I didn't on notice the, this at yeah. all. So when they were flying on the brooms, he, they, you know, one guy was standing above it with like his hand in like a hanger essentially and he would move his hand back and forth and that would cause the, uh, the, the body of the dummy to like pick up and like look left and look right and then go back to the... go like back flying to, position. Yeah, flying position. And just... Oh, they were so creepy. They were really, really creepy. They were such creepy dolls. It was like, like it was one of those things where, you know, you you know you don't want to walk into that warehouse like late at night with no lights because you'd be like, What's that? What's that? Oh my god. Ah <laughs> Yeah, I mean there there are a lot of weird like little things in this that that I think are sort of interesting that I didn't notice until like you real until you know about it and you pay attention, you're like, holy shit, that's actually kind of cool. Like in the beginning, when Najimi says to Bette Midler, "Thou art divine," which is a reference to her to her common nickname, which is the Divine Miss M, mm-hmm. or or how in the beginning of the movie, the teacher 
in in class uh, because the movie opens up with with the Sanderson sisters and the the intro and them being burned at the stake, and then it flashing. Oh, no, they're hung. Oh, oh, they're hung. Okay, yes. well, whatever. <laughs> and then and then they they the t- it flashes forward to to common three hundred years later, three hundred years later, with the teacher telling the story and. And Max basically saying it's BS. But if you look at the doodle on his piece of paper, it says the Grateful Dead. And there's a picture of a marijuana leaf that he drew on the paper. Well, because he's from California. He's wearing like tie-dye. And he's got yeah, tie-dye Yeah, he's all, all about that tie-dye. And, and, like, and I feel like Disney really doubled down on the on the California thing. Because if you look in his room, it was just something that I know. I don't know if they're in the notes because I, I, uh, I didn't really go through and look for this. But if you're watching the scene where they end up in his bedroom... He is uh, in front of his bed, and there's a poster of the Lakers. It's a Magic Johnson Lakers poster. So oh, this has got to be, team. yeah. So this is Dream Team, like Lakers style. Like we're from out here in SoCal, so Lakers, you know. Yeah. But but I mean, it's Magic Johnson from the Lakers, like like in the middle of a dunk on a poster. And I was like, man, like that's a lot of effort to go through. Like who else is going to notice that unless they're looking for it, right? Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of effort to put into building a kid's bedroom also i thought it was weird that his bedroom was fully decorated even though they had just moved in i thought that was weird too like when they were searching for the salt their like like cabinet was just like completely cluttered and i'm like really they just moved here a week ago and their cabinets are already cluttered like not only has ship and put in there but but everything's been like moved around and they couldn't find where the salt was like it's a little weird like there's a lot of this like little things in this uh i mean Ultimately, you know, I think what what causes what what causes people to keep coming back to this movie are those things. Yeah, it, it's it's the it's the extra effort that went into the making of it, and it's the sort of it's the sort of timeless story of it. Because aside and, from and, a little bit, and of I the, think Bette Midler. Oh yeah, yes. arguably Bette Midler by herself sells the shit out of this. Oh movie. Uh, yeah, but you you could make you could aside from a couple of the really like the, the 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 things that cause you to realize that this was made in the early 90s like some of the fashion a little bit some of the fashion well joy actually noted that allison's fashion when they come out of class looks fucking on point and um she's, she's got like the red riding hood cape like well yeah, and then the, the, the high-waisted the high-waisted jeans and like the whole outfit choice like man she looks good I oh like and she outfit. had her like sassy note give back she's like trick-or-treat and hands him his own number i was like ooh, that yeah, was good that's good yeah joy, joy mentioned that too <laughs> yeah so, you don't you don't know that uh you don't know that back in California, Max was a complete freaking dork, and he's trying to do that thing where you move to a new town and reinvent yeah. yourself. You're like, it's like, no, I'm the cool kid. Check out my tie-dyed shirts and my sweater tied around my I waist. I spent all the and last his... summer in the dumpster, but now I'm in Massachusetts. Yeah, in his backpack, I was like, that's an weird choice for backpack. It was like one of those drawstring, like, yeah. sack backpacks. Like the, the type that this you would... This is 93. The, you should have a Jansport. The, the type that you would see, like, a With soccer player bottom. throwing their, their cleats in. Yeah. It's just weird. He had a weird like sh- her style was on point. His well, was hers lacking. was on point for now. Yeah, that's because well, the nineties like, are coming back. It's gonna yeah, happen yeah. all over the early nineties. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, chokers and the uh, the Long the parents. Time. All the parents' uh, Halloween costumes were pretty on point too. Oh, Sean mentioned that when we were watching. He's like, Dang, everyone at this party has a really good costume. Like that yeah. guy's in full armor. Yeah, the, like, at the yeah. at the dance party. The, the adult dance party is like aside from the dad who just basically like threw a cape on and like slicked his hair back and he's like I'm a I'm a Dracula. Didn't he say I'm Dadula or something? Yeah, like, dad I'm Dadula. Joke? Yeah. It's aside from him, everyone else like went 
full effort on their costumes and it showed like i assume that if you live in salem massachusetts halloween is a pretty big freaking deal so maybe they all do that i don't know if you're from massachusetts or the salem area let us know how is halloween out there i assume from mr boogity and from this movie that halloween is awesome please destroy my expectations speaking of mr boogity and ghosts there is a weird little homage to ghosts because in the scene where max is talking about the black flame candle to the guy who's dressed as a police officer. Did you notice that the patch on his costume is the Ghostbusters symbol? I didn't see that, but I did know. It must have been somewhere else because he does have a patch that says Salem PD on it. And that's why I he was He does like, on his shoulder, but on yeah. the front it says Ghostbusters oh, with okay. the full on, like with the ghost and the red circle and the, oh yeah. Yeah, that's why, you're, that's why you're not allowed to dress up as a cop or you shouldn't dress up like a cop on Halloween because people will come out to find you. Yeah, it's kind of a dick move. It's like I, dressing up like a firefighter or something. It's like, oh. There's a fire. Or so, this person you. is choking. Yeah. So at the end of all of this, I mean, obviously you watch this every year, Chelsea. What, what, do. Do, you, what do you think about this now? What like, brings you back to it every year, year after year? What makes you watch it again? And would you recommend this as something to watch now? Okay, I would 100% recommend it, hands down. At, like, I start watching this movie, I'm not even kidding you, like September 1st. Like, every single year, I just start playing it when I have nothing on or I'm cleaning my room. It's in there. And I just, I don't know, it's the characters and, like, just the little things. Like, I love all the actors in it, and I love the talking cat for some reason. And it's just, like, it's nostalgia probably, but... So do you think that, do you think that trying to watch it, knowing that you're going to end up on the show, do you think watching it and thinking about it in the way that we kind of do has uh, ruined your nostalgic goggles? Or do you think it's more solidified then? It's so solidified. It's not even funny. Like, n I'm pretty sure almost nothing could ruin this movie. But watching it, <laughs> trying to, like, analyze it and look for things that I wanted to talk about, it was kind of like, wow, I didn't know how, I didn't notice how bad that looked until I, like, really was looking for it. But then like, you the don't care. Girl, like, yeah. the little girl in the beginning, but I was just like, oh, whatever. She was only in it for like the very beginning and the very end she's not yeah. like a main character but like everything Thackeray Binks yeah. well it's like the whole Thackeray movie Binks. the whole movie could have ended when they're at the cemetery early early on when they got the book mm -hmm. and they end up down in the crypts and they're like oh well they can't touch ground on hollow ground I'm like perfect Let's fucking stay, stay there, there. Yeah. stay there till the sun comes up and then those bitches are dead and then everything's cool Yeah, they can't do anything but no they're too dumb <laughs> Sean, what, what did you think about this? Um, I liked it. I really enjoyed. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, Bette Midler just chewing on everything. It was great. I mean, if you're gonna be, and that's the thing, and that's the thing in so many movies that it's a fine line, and it's the it's the fine line that you have to walk when you're making a movie that is not super serious, but is not so goofy that you can just be like do do whatever you want. It, it, it's it's the type of it's the type of performance that separates like your rooms and your samurai cops and those type of movies from um, just the schlock that is oh, just, hi Mark. yeah it, from just the schlock that's painful to watch like this movie could have been painful if the actors hadn't 
taking that sort of levity with it. Like they didn't take themselves 100% seriously in it. They goofed around in it. Like you can tell that Bette Midler is goofing around. You can, you tell, can tell they had fun. That Sarah mm-hmm. Jessica Parker is goofing around. And they let them. That's the important thing too is the director and the producing staff allowed them to have fun doing this. Yeah, so you know, if if that Otherwise, had... as you said, Chelsea, what? This was Bette Midler's favorite movie she's ever worked on? Well, she said up until that point. Up but until I that mean, point, like... okay. But most of her work has been up until that point. Yeah, so. and I think... Like, you can tell that they're having fun, and that's why I have fun watching it. Is because, like, it's like you're experiencing it, and they're having a great time. Even though it's, like, supposed to be, like, a a scary movie, quote-unquote. But, like, if you know, like, I think watching it over and over again, you're like, oh, I know everything turns out great, and everything's fine. And, And, yeah, you can enjoy watching that through the movie. Yeah. In a, you know, in some ways, I feel like it's kind of good that we bookend this with two Disney sort of features, Mr. Boogity and then Hocus Pocus, because they're... In some ways, they're sort of similar in that sense that you could tell watching it that the people who made it actually sort of had a good time making it, that it is fun for the whole family, that there's some parts about it that don't age well, but enough of it ages okay that you don't care, Mm -hmm. you know? I, for me, personally, I I like watching this. Joy and I watch this every year. Joy Joy and I have been together, what, Jesus, 11 years now? And and we watch it almost every year. And and our kid, who's three and a half, actually, we watched this with her. And she loves this movie. And she thought it was cool. And, and she liked the cat, talking cat. We watched it last year, too, I believe. So this is not like a, a movie that we just up and watch for no reason. It's a recurring thing. It's definitely a recurring thing. And and I think it should be for everybody listening. Yeah. If, if you have not seen Hocus Pocus, 100% think that... I think all of us are in agreement, right? Yes. Watch yes. it. Yeah. 10 for 10 would recommend. Watch yeah. it. Rewatch it. 5 out of 7 would be great to do... Never mind. <laughs> 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 10 out of 10. 4 yes. out of 4. 3 witches broomsticks out of 3. 7 out of 5. Uh, <laughs> like like uh, 13 Sarah Sanderson spastic dances out of 13. Out of 13 Ghost of Scooby-Doo. Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah, bringing it down after last week. Yes. So go out and watch it. And I think for this week, that'll do it. Thank you for joining us. This yes. was fun to have you on the show. Thank you guys for uh, having me. Yeah. And this week, That'll do it, right? Yeah. yeah. So if you want to find us and talk to us on Twitter, our Twitter handle is at RemasteredCast. That is at RemasteredCast. You can also find us on Facebook. Just search for Childhood Remastered. Please rate us five stars on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. The rating really helps us out. Yeah, and we'd also like to thank John Howarth for the use of our intro music, Nascent. You can find links to his SoundCloud on our website, childhoodremastered.com. And until next time, this is Sean. And Chris. And Chelsea. And this has been your Childhood Remastered. We will see you next time.